Guys, Space Survivors, welcome to Bubbling Up, an adult conversation on the wide world of comics. I'm just your man floating in a most peculiar way, Joe Soria, along with the head of Mission Control, Steve Ermosi. Your Raider Major Steve? Ground Control to myself. Ground, ground Control to you. You to you. You mm-hmm. to you. On today's breakdown, we're going to be returning to a Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino collaboration limited series, Primordial. We're not returning to it, returning to the creators for a new a new work six issues that is it it's the end this is a one shot or a six shot or whatever you want to call it it's exciting for for us i like when it's over although we'll talk about that later a quick reminder first if you have any thoughts feelings things that are just deep inside of you that you need to get out you can email us at bubblinguppod at gmail.com or you can dm steve-o directly or you can reach out via Instagram at bubbling up pod. Don't do that to Steve. Oh, sorry. He's a nice guy and you shouldn't do that. My apologies. And he gets enough of that already. Make sure if you're listening on Apple or one of those pod thingamajiggies, you give us the hot five stars and then you write a review on how much you hate me and you love Steve because he deserves it. You're too kind. Share it with some of those comic curious folks out there that we've been looking for. We were going to do this episode as a quiet, space-contained ASMR episode, but we've decided against that. Right, steve Yeah, I, I, I can't get my voice to make those sweet, sweet microphone sounds. It is high. It is far. It is space. That's, that's how I'm going to describe this comic. So we've done some Lemire. I don't know if we have to go deep diving here. Have anything to say? I mean, you know, I know you, uh, you're on the Substack as am I, although I don't know if I can read all this stuff for forever anymore, but the man can create. They're doing Essex County, so he's doing some TV now, finally, I think, writing some TV. So I'm, I'm curious how it'll actually translate there. Out of all the things, I feel like he's, I don't say conquered comics, but he has a move. He does it well, but uh, I'm curious if it will translate. And I'm not sure, uh, you know, we'll dig into this one, but I don't know how well this part of the move worked. So, uh, any other thoughts on Mr. Lemire or Gideon Falls or Mr. Sorrentino, or shall we just get into it? We've talked about Lemire and Sorrentino already a decent amount. And as soon as they announced this, I was like, oh, cool, another an in-between thing for them because they also got the Bone Orchard mythos coming out soon. I wonder if it will be creepy. I wonder. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely going to be creepy. Although this was a bit of a departure, so from the creepiness anyway. I think this was uh, it was definitely spacey. It was definitely vibey, but we'll we'll get into that. So usually we take a little break, but we've only been talking for like two minutes and mostly me just ambling on. So I'm going to do some credits and then I'll let Steve-O give you the official synopsis. So the book is called Primordial. The publisher is Image. The author is Jeff Lemire. The illustrator is Andrea Sorrentino. Colors by Dave Stewart. Letters and Design by Steve Wands. That's a good name for someone with like hands, you know, Wands. <laughs> yeah. And editor, Greg Lockhart. So what is the official synopsis that we can't wait for you to read for us today, Steve? Yeah, this is mind-bending sci-fi collides with Cold War thriller in the six-issue miniseries by the best-selling Eisner-winning creative team behind Gideon Falls. In 1957, the USSR launched the dog Laika into Earth's orbit. Two years later, the USA responded with two monkeys, Abel and Baker. These animals never returned, but unbeknownst to everyone, they did not die in orbit. They were taken. And now, they're coming home. Dun, dun, dun. That's how you have to end it. Mind-bending. Yeah, I'd say that. 
Any first thoughts on this, Devo? Why don't you start us off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is a book that's really, for me, a lot about the art. The art is fantastic, as you kind of expect from Sorrentino stuff. Especially the covers are really great in this. So, you know, immediate impression. Well, the first time I saw the first cover, I was like, oh, that looks interesting. It's pretty short. It's only six issues, as we mentioned. So... I think a lot of the story is kind of like right out of the gate takes a little bit of a backseat to the, to the art here. And it's just like a a little bit of fun. Like you, I feel like they're going for more emotion than, than a sink your teeth into plot heavy story or something like that. You know, that was kind of my first. I think that overlaps with a, a lot of things. So that's, you know, but I agree that this, this is not, I don't know. This is much of a writing showcase. This is definitely more of a, you wanted to make something, you have an idea and I'm going to flesh it out, but it's mostly just going to be a visual tapestry of what's in your mind and letting you do and explore, but do it in space and do it with a little bit of throwback, you know, or go back into an older time span or, you know, something to that effect. But it kind of did feel like a continuation of where Gideon Falls ended. If you remember Gideon Falls, the last issue was like an Uber issue where it also it kind of felt like a Don Hertzfeld cartoon where like everything was falling off the pages and the pages were falling apart and the Rubik's Cube was opening. And was it Hellraiser? Which one is the face kind of flips out and into itself or one of those like face switchers people? Is that Lawnmower Man? I don't know my my 80s, <laughs> 90s. Lawnmower Man, I don't think. It's one of the ones where like, it's like their face like switches like the squares, you know, like it likes like, like their face is like a Rubik's Cube and like turns into something else. Hellraiser maybe. You're thinking of, I'm not as well-versed in all those as perhaps I could be. One more man's like all the computer, like the terrible computer graphics. Well, the terrible computer graphics did like to do things like that where, you know, you turn into a cube. So, but it it really is a showcase. It also, I think, was kind of like a test one where it's like dark versus light. Because definitely Gideon Falls always felt like dark and darker. Like they were like challenging how many things they could do in black and red, basically, on like 60 issues. And this one is got the colors it's got the psychedelia it's got the 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 vibe there and it also has that like filtering you said the covers the covers look like retro filtered portraits basically of characters that are in the the story and you know maybe we're kind of going quick here but the story there isn't much of one the characters i don't say there aren't many of them in opposition to something other things we've done recently that are heavy on character. There's a dog and two monkeys and they talk to each other and basically say each other's names a lot. And then there is a doctor, Dr. Pembroke, who was an overlooked MIT graduate who wanted to be in NASA, but was seemingly brought in after the fact to do help with cleanup when they're disbanding the program because he was black and it was overlooked. So we have a, you know, a racism angle from the start that connects to a character later on that is overlooked basically for sexism on the other side of the Russian side. So we have this dual coin of overlooked citizens trying to, I don't know if it's save the world or connect with the previous time. You don't really get a great connection to these characters that much anyway. I'm not sure who you're supposed to connect to here. And that's probably my my loss where this feels like a short story where you're never going to know the character's name and you're just going to remember where where it starts, where it ends and and kind of these vibe planes. I don't know what you want to call them. These close encounter Thor, multicolored, rainbow bridgey album covers. Yeah, well, yeah, that one they had to give credit before they got sued on that one, I guess. That was in there. Yeah, so I mean, stories and characters, I don't remember loving too much of it here. 
And actually, it all connected for me. You know, there's a theory. I don't know who created it, I believe, but I was one of the people that was in Obama's cabinet. But also, Michael Lewis did a podcast on it recently called The Six Levels Down Theory. And I was talking about how if you actually want to get the root of a problem of something, you don't go to the first level or second level. There's usually someone about six levels down that actually probably knows exactly what the problem is and just isn't in charge. So that if you want a problem, don't go to the top. You got to go into the organization where they're frontlining, basically. So this is a book that's basically about the frontline. You don't meet any other people or any politicians that have dismissed it or anything else. It's just these two dismissed people that have connective tissue, or at least one of them to these animals. And that's it. Maybe I missed something else. And there's a mission, you know, breaking into the Soviet bloc or going to East Berlin or whatever. I think I like this a bit better than you than you did, but it's really driven by emotion. Like, all right, here's, here's the what you're supposed to be feeling in this scene. Like, we don't know what the aliens are or whatever takes the animals. We don't know too much about any of the characters. I think the most we really know about them is that, what was it, Yelena and Laika liked each other and the... I think she found him in the pound, if I'm not mistaken, or something, right? And then they yeah. picked him. Yeah. You know? So there's just not a ton going on in, in the story, which I was fine with. I was like, all right, I just want to like look at this and enjoy the art and go through it. And, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll come across a comic. That's what it is. It's like, I, mean, I don't need anything wildly like complex. I don't need this. Like, I don't need everything in rights to be Sweet Tooth or whatever, or Essex County. This one is more uh, the Sorrentino show than the Lemire show, I would say, for sure. We've landed there. And I think that's a fair thing to do. And you do need a writer and putting his name on it will make it kind of fancy, you know, like will attract attention. But I don't think it actually is not very much his normal vibe. And it's not his normal character types. There is definitely a empathy to them that he always has. Maybe it's, it's good that it's just like non-human characters are not that interesting. And then the animal characters are kind of talking to each other and they're in space. And they're barking or I'm not sure they're saying they translated to each other in the white room. I don't know how it goes. So. Like something about being in there allowed them to learn speech, except for one of the monkeys did. The thing is, they didn't really like there was no explanation. And I was like, yeah, all this is like beyond explanation, right? Like that's the idea. So like he, he's just not going to is beyond understanding. Steve, yeah. though, don't you understand? Yeah, we can't understand it. But I think that was kind of the idea is like, oh, all this is like beyond human understanding and how how could this happen it feels like that was Lemire's idea so he was like I'm just gonna run with that and like not explain anything and just enjoy what happened like enjoy looking at it and and enjoy the ride without having to know what the hell's going on at all times is it a a connection to pets conquers all maybe I'm maybe I'm soulless and don't never had a pet and don't care but it ends up with a hugging this dog who is probably about 70 years old at this point but was in space so I guess didn't age and not 70 years in dog years, they'd be about, if I do my math right, it's about 800 years old. So it's the yeah. world's oldest dog. She just knows it's going to come back. So I'm, I'm going to skip ahead here. We did a little bit on the covers. We did the, we talked a lot about the art, the colors I liked, the Pink Floyd page, the heavy ink style, the contrasts of worlds, and then the lighter pencil-y style in the, the white room, the ethery room. And then we have these like few Rockwellian pages of like the monkey hugging, like when one of them dies, they're like a very specific style that don't look like anything else. It's a wild, like, complete style change on those, like, what, two or three pages, maybe? Yeah, and they stand out. And it, it is cool, but it's also like an art piece. There's no rhyme or reason, but it's a choice. And there's a lot of choices made here, but they're all art-related. So 
Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton more to say, you know, because there isn't a ton of story here. It really, this is like Steve-O said, is a vibe story. So I just wanted to mention, because I don't think I've said it yet. I think you started to mention something about it earlier, but what I like about the art on this one is it seems like Sorrentino is really trying a different, at least than what I've seen of his, like Gideon Falls and now Bone Orchard, like a different vibe. He's trying to make bright, like more open panels. And it feels like a more hopeful art style, if that makes sense, like in this one, than in Gideon Falls, he's trying to create this like really oppressive style, you know, feeling. And in this one, it feels like it's way more wide open. He's got like the space shots. So like there are points where it just like goes off into infinity, basically. So I kind of enjoyed that seeing him work in a, in a whole different type of way than what I've seen of him before. Although that being said, I am pretty excited to, to see uh, what he's got cooked up for Bone Orchard <laughs> coming up because that one sounds interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I said that. I agree. It's like it's a mind expanding book, but I didn't think it was that different. Like a lot of the cube imagery and the like spinning imagery and the like the world being like spread apart was very reminiscent. But the color change was the distinction. I don't know if I'm giving him the credit there or the color choice or the vice versa and be like, let's try something different here. It is definitely a little a softer touch, if nothing else. There is no soft touch. There's very heavy lines and inking in almost all of Gideon Falls. I remember even, you know, the bad guy and the smile guy and the mm-hmm. the main character. Everyone looks like they're having a rough day. Everyone here also looks like they're having a rough day, but it isn't as disheartening, dispirited, I would yeah. say, in a way. But yeah, I mean I'm not trying to poop on this. I just say if someone's coming in here thinking like, I feel like Lemire is pretty good at usually delivering a beginning end and a plot. And this doesn't really satisfy that, Mm -hmm. that if they're coming in here for him, they're probably going to be mistaken. If they're coming in here to look for art and look for something unique and just like an an indulgence when they have like the, you know, a a director who makes them their dream project or something. Maybe this is a dream project. I'm not sure, but it's, it doesn't feel like fully baked, fleshed out when it comes to the story. If they, if they wanted to, I'm sure they could have done more. So I'm not, yeah. Sure, what the reasoning behind it, other than a a color test or you know a bridge gap or just a, a palette cleanser after a sixty issue arc and a eighty page book, basically they had one book, right? The the final book was a double or a triple, wasn't it? It was something like that, like sixty to eighty pages. But there's like no dialogue on a lot of it too. I remember we went to a pretty pretty big depth with the Lemire episode, right? Yeah, yeah. I forget it was a, it was short for a trade, but I think it was only it was one issue. The whole trade was like one issue or maybe two. In terms of this one, you're right. Don't expect the standard like Jeff Lemire fare on this. It's a quick read. There's not a ton of dialogue. Probably take you like 40 minutes to read all six issues or whatever. But overall, I thought it was pretty decent, especially in terms of how quick a read it was. And yeah, I'm probably not going to go back and read it again, but I'm glad that I had the experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to look up the episode number. I don't know if we even numbered them back then, so episodes from July of last year, we did an all like kind of a draft. We even talked about this as the reported classified project that was slated to drop end of last year. So and on top of it, they mentioned May's book, which I believe I ordered May's book and is on its way to me as well. So that's a true, I feel like Lemire, that's an illustrated one. I don't know the last Mm -hmm. time he's done all the pieces of it. So if I was putting this in that ranking, this wouldn't have gotten drafted too early. That's probably where I, you know, give it its nicest ilk. I feel everyone should be able to do whatever they want as long as they're not hurting anybody. Um, but honestly, if, if you're coming here looking for like a one-off black hammer in space or something, there already was a corner weird book and it was good. 
this is not it. So just be advised. I don't know if you would have listened to this without, again, we always say that, listen to this without reading it. But if for some reason you're going on our recommendation, that's where I would leave it off. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you know, we didn't even take a break. That's how fast. This is a speed one, Steve. So this is a really quick one, huh? Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, you know, we can go back and cycle through, but I kind of felt like we went through it pretty quickly and I didn't want to go crazy. And there's no casting to be done here for the monkeys and for the dogs. So there's not a ton. Um, yeah, well, you don't know all the monkeys and dogs in Hollywood. Marcel from Friends, that's a monkey. And the one from Outbreak, that's a monkey. They're in retirement at this point, I would say. Hey, yeah. What a, but maybe they've they've cloned them like in <laughs> like in Jurassic Park. They don't have to be played by monkeys. They get played by dinosaurs. Mm, true. I've got an idea. True. I was gonna say that this also shouldn't be casted. I don't know what you know, if they made it this as a movie, it'd be like an experimental short film on on Criterion. And mm-hmm. I don't think the budget would be that high to make the spacey looking stuff. It's kind of cool. It probably the intent of the vibe is to make a 2001 feeling thing without the computer stuff and to do this space appreciation because space is hot. I feel like Jeff Lemmer is always on trend and trying to, well, space is hot. Let me do that. And I did like 500 books on ascending and descending. And instead, we're just going to keep it quiet. So it is what it is. Any final thoughts before we take a quick break and then uh, give you a little update on what's up next? No, I don't think so. All right. We sound very excited. I know, guys, they, this was really oh, worth your time. I, I might have talked Steve-O down. He wanted to give all the super positivity, and I brought him down to my level. He had his positivity, and... I had my moments. I, I fucked it up. So, you know, it happens. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and Steve-O's going to gear it back up, and I'm going to stop ruining his life, and we'll be back. I'm bubbling up. All right, so we're back and pretty much we're going to take a little, little summer hiatus. Uh, we've backloaded a couple of episodes, so Steve-O can take a little time for himself. And then I think when he gets back, I'm going to take some time off too. So probably won't be back till closer to the fall, I would say, probably. So these are going to come out in until like July. So that's mm-hmm. probably a good estimate, I think, fairly. But, uh, you know, we'll keep you guys updated. And so, Steve, I know we, I just asked you, and I know we have a couple other things on the list, but since there's nothing actually up coming up next, any thoughts on what you'd like to do? I know you just mentioned a couple, but anything you want to uh, share, with, share with the people? Yeah, uh, I was saying I, I, I've been looking forward to, I haven't gotten to it yet, but reading uh, The Me You Love in the Dark. Another one I didn't mention, I actually have the new issue. Sorry. Yeah, you have to talk into the mic. Talk the mic. into the mic, sir. Terrible, terrible mic control. But uh, I have the new issue of the Department of Truth or the new trade sitting on my to read list. And I'm reading uh, Noah Hawley's book, Anthem, that just came out a few months ago. I didn't know he had a new book. I read the one with the plane crash that I know. I didn't know he had another book. All right. Well, myself, I can know I've been reading a lot and I just read Radiant Black. So I think we're going to cover that. I know that was also on all the Eisner lists as well. I'm going to read more Thor because our previous guest, Jay, said that it gets better. And we are doing this before Thor comes out. So I guess I should try, but I don't know why I have to suffer. Other things, I just read the newer Thunderbolts reboot, which actually was quite good. And I think he mentioned the Garth Ennis doing Punisher Soviet was also pretty good. Black label, right? I don't think it's on, I want to correct him, but it's not on DC. So it's not a black label. It might be on like, it might be on the, a Marvel black label or something, but it's not like, a DC. So didn't even think of that. Didn't want to jump on that one. Sorry if you're listening, Jay. Uh, that's the facts that Punisher is Marvel, so he can't be DC black label. But I did read it on on digital too. 
there's some other things definitely in the hopper. So we'll keep you apprised. Well, I'll try to actually give you, I always say this, but actually give you an update on some of the things we're planning, you know, some bigger things. I think we said maybe some continuation on Saga and bring back our friend Dennis. I've got a Scott Pilgrim. You mentioned something by maybe a Hickman. And then there's some movies, maybe do the boys, you know, we'll, we'll see where it all ends up. There's, there's a lot, there's a lot out there. Not the comic, probably do TV to have some fun. How's that sound, Steve? Sounds great, man. All right. Well, enjoy your time off and I will hopefully then enjoy my time off. This is Major Joe to Ground Control. Let me bid you adieu. Have a good night. Yeah, it's the same music as at the beginning. Our buddy Chris Morgan did it. The intro is so nice, we used it twice. What, you want show credits over here? All right, fine. Bring in the heat in the MC seat was Joe Soria along with me, his trusty sidekick Steve Ramosi. We also want to give a big thank you to Leland Holden of Pod Punch Editing for making sure we don't sound as dumb as we sound. Uh, Leland, can you edit this so it doesn't sound so dumb, please? Don't forget to follow us and like all our stuff on the socials for ultimate glory. And we'll be bubbling back up next week with more brilliance. Later.